0: Well, if you would, turn to John chapter 1. A New Testament teacher should not have a book that he or she likes better than others, but I have to confess this is my favorite book in the New Testament. Uh, I've taught it on various levels, and every time I go to the book, uh, Augustine's words are true. It's deep enough for an elephant to swim in. It's shallow enough for a baby to take a bath in. John is a great book for four or five-year-olds. In fact, I decided that's what we're going to do as a family. So with my kids, we're going through John's gospel at another level. uh, There's things so profound seminary professors wrestle with in the text. It's going to be a slow journey. Uh, We're not going through all of the gospel of John in 10 weeks. (laughs) So uh, my plan is to, to, to take this even into the spring. Will be our study. And and I realize that we've designed this so you can come and go. You are all busy. And uh, we'll make the notes and the audio recordings available online. So you have those. If you miss and you want something to sleep by, you'll have that available to you. But John's gospel is spectacular. You know, you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they're called the synoptics. Synoptic means seen together. They, they read a lot alike, don't they? But when you get to John, it's, whoa, what's happened you know, in the beginning? Uh, and it's, it's a little unique compared to the other gospel writers. And we'll tease out some of the uniqueness of this gospel as we go along, as we journey through the book. But John tells us his purpose. So, in fact, keep your finger in John tw- uh, 1 and turn to chapter 20. Let me show you. Uh, some of the gospel writers, you have to... F- Determine reading between the lines. What is the, the purpose for the book? You do not have to do that with John's gospel. He tells us. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he explicitly states why he is writing this book. And he states, Now Jesus performed many other signs. He doesn't use the word for miracle that you find in the other gospel writers. There is only a few miracles in this book they are key and we will come back to that uh, especially when we get to the first one in Cana in the presence of the disciples which are not recorded in this book I, I know there's a bunch that he did but these are recorded why so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name what's the purpose that you might believe in Christ And it's interesting, the Greek is vague. It could be that you believe or that you go on believing. And scholars love to debate it. Some will even go punt and say it's both, right? So who knows? But I I think uh, there is an evangelistic throng to this book. There's also uh, one of discipleship that we see coming through as well. Well, let's turn to chapter 1 and let's look at this. Christology then is going to be key. It's vital. And in fact, if you look at the four gospels, John's Christology is what we call high Christology. Christ is immediately thrown into uh, the glorious state, which is intriguing. I believe that's one of the reasons you will not find an exorcism in John's gospel, though they did occur and John would have admitted that, right? You won't find a transfiguration scene in John's Gospel. Why? Because you see Christ in all His glory from the get-go. We don't see a little baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. We immediately see the Son of God, right? Right right from the get-go. In the beginning, he says, was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was fully God. And the Word was with God in the beginning. Here's what I like to do. You've got some space in your notes under the overview. I'm going to give you just a couple minutes here as we uh, break into some groups, I want you to identify every name given to Jesus in just chapter 1. All right? All the names given to Jesus in chapter 1. I'm going to just give you a couple minutes, uh, in groups of two or three, your table or whatever, uh, just, and then we'll jot these down. All right? So take a couple minutes. Every name given to Jesus. One more minute. <laughs> Tom Flynn says, I have to be done at till, <laughs> <laughs> And I will be. Lord will. <laughs> Okay, I know some of you are still working, and forgive us, but let's start making a list of the names of given to Jesus in chapter 1 alone. Just chapter 1. Give me a name. The Word. That is vital. We will come back to this in a minute. It's very significant. What else do you see? Light. What else? God. What else? Rabbi. Also very significant. What else do you see? One and only. One and only. Chosen. Chosen. I heard it. I'm sorry. Father, lamb. lamb. What else? Witness. I'm sorry? Witness. witness? Uh, he's testified to it. He's a witness to the Father. Yeah, I'll give you that. That's a key term 47 times in this book. Witness is going to be referred to. What else? Son, Son. (laughs) Messiah. John is loaded with Jewish overtones. One thing you can say about the author, he's a Jew, and he knows Palestine. That's why I love going to the pool of Bethesda. Uh, Liberal scholars argue that John didn't know, uh, made tons of mistakes, the author of the fourth gospel, And that, uh, uh, for instance, the Pool of Bethesda doesn't exist in Jerusalem. That's one evidence that he doesn't know what he's talking about. This was 1800s rhetoric. In the early 1900s, the Pool of Bethesda was found. So it took a truckload of German scholarship and threw it into the ocean. So there you are. Witness, Messiah. There was another. What was it? King of Israel. We are not out of the first chapter and we have what? About 17 names given to Jesus. The prologue is essential. I want you to see this as we move along. The prologue is a directive to the reader in how to to view the entire gospel. You know those miracles, the ones that John said I carefully selected? What's interwoven or what's orbiting around those miracles are the I am statements. Remember the I am statements in John's gospel? I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Guess what? All of those concepts are found in the first 18 verses of chapter 1. It's the prologue. It's setting us up for the entire book and this high Christology that we're going to see. So let's that's, that's dive into the text and let's look at this. The first five verses. Let's read these again and look at this. It says, In the beginning, does that sound familiar? That's intentional. Was the word, in fact, According to Genesis, how did God create the world? He spoke it with the word. Uh, this use of logos, the use of word, is, is, is huge because in the Greco-Roman world, Hellenistic world, logos was this force, reminds a little bit of Star Wars, that created the world, um, that directed the creation and John pulls a little of this, but I think he's more heavily dependent on the Hebrew scriptures. That that this is the Logos, this is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was fully God. Now I'm using a new um, English translation. I'm using the NET Bible, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but so if my version's a little different, that's why the Word was with God in the beginning. All things were created by Him. So what does that tell us about? The Word's relationship to creation, He's preexistent. He's not one of the created beings. This guy was right there with God, and he, in Him was life. The life was the light of mankind. Again, all those I Am statements, the light shines in the darkness. In your notes, I mentioned again, this is section A, the one from above. There's a few things he notes about the Word in these first few verses. First of all, we see it's the source of creation. There's that pre-existent state. That's vital. Because what John's going to show is that humanity cannot save themselves. <laughs> it takes a cosmic intervention. God himself has to stoop down. And that's that's what we're going to see here. Secondly, the word is equated with scripture and that that is that the message that's being proclaimed is christ uh we're studying revelation in a sunday school class that i'm teaching and i jokingly told the people i'll break your kneecaps if i hear you say revelations uh uh, revelation with an s uh, after our study because there is no book in the new testament with revelations it's revelation of and about christ christ is central uh, we were blessed to have Rich Blumenstock over the summer do a thing on evangelism. And uh, we were talking a, about a, a church that uh, was in trouble, not in this area, and uh, instead of looking to, to pastor, uh, we are talking to a fellow who was going to take over the church and said, what, what do I preach? What series should I do? And uh, re- I remember Rich's words to him, preach Christ, just, just preach Christ. So the Word is equated with Scripture. That is the message. And third, the Word speaks of a divine nature. Look what we see. What does it say about the Word? Tell, what, what do we see there? He's in the beginning. What else do we see? He's with what? With God, right? Which tells us there's communion, there's intimacy, and, and we're going to see that. Christ says, I and the Father are one, we are unified on this. And I mentioned this there in your notes. The preposition uh, does not suggest, uh, suggest proximity, but rather an intimate personal relationship. That is key. It's not that he's just there up there with God the Father. No, no, no. They're functioning as one. And it's interesting the next aspect or the next clause is vital. It says that the Word was fully God. Does anyone have a different rendering? The word was. Anyone have the word was God? Uh, and if you meet a Jehovah Witness, their their Bible's going to say the word was a God. <laughs> In the Greek, uh, and and I know Greek is like underwear—you need it for support, but don't let anyone see it. So I don't want to keep referring to the Greek. Uh, but it, this is this is a, a very special grammatical construction, uh, and this is this is why you have to learn Greek. This is this alone this construction tells us that it cannot be indefinite you cannot translate this the word was a god Uh, confession is good for the soul Uh, i was working on my doctorate and i had two jehovah witnesses come to the door and i wasn't in the mood anyways i needed to work and they came to the door and and i said i'm just going to save your breath i believe jesus is god and they said, well, in John 1.1, it says Jesus was a God. And I, said, I said, no, it, it says Jesus was fully God. And they said, well, in the Greek, it, there is no article. And I said, oh, you know Greek. And this is where the flesh <laughs> took over. <laughs> so I went and got my Greek text, and I handed it to them upside down intentionally. They're flipping through it, and they said, well... We perceive you're arrogant. And I said, I perceive you're going to hell. So it was not good. It was not good at all. That's not how to handle it, I, I, I will admit. <coughs> it's, it, if you want a word, it's called the... I'm going to just give it to you for you who love to have some info. It's called the Caldwell Rule. It's very significant. It cannot be indefinite. And it's probably not uh, excuse me, it cannot be indefinite, and it probably cannot be definite. in other words, the word was the God mm, not the best way to render it either. It's qualitative, almost always, and so what it means is that Jesus was fully God. What John is doing by using this grammatical construction l- listen don't if you get anything else from mahotes today, this is the, the so key here. What John is saying is that he's God yet distinct. That's the Trinitarian relationship, isn't it? He's God, and yet in person He is distinct. And that's what John's trying to use by using this construction. He's saying, yeah, He's God. He's fully God. And yet there's a distinction here because He's the Son, not the Father. Isn't that great? That's exciting stuff. Yeah, and in my... Now I handle Jehovah's Witnesses a little different when they come to the door. But uh, it, it's a great text that, you know, to take them to and say, listen, this is a very unique construction. In fact, 1 John 4.8, God is love. You can't translate that indefinite, and you can't really translate it definite. It's qualitative. So the, and it's the same construction, 1 John 4.8. And that's why I like the Net Bible. I think they're trying to, to render this so that they capture what it is in the original. Questions on that? That's, that's vital. He's with God, relationship-wise, but he's also fully God. Now, no, notice what else he says. Let me move on. It says here that in him was, this word was with God in the beginning, and in him was life. Now, at the bottom of your notes, I said, based upon John's usage elsewhere, we can safely assume that John is referring to eternal life, can't we? I give you Psalm 36, for with you, in you is the fountain of life. Again, salvation is only from the Lord. And life, by the way, we're going to see occurs numerous times in the book, along with light. And that is the top of the next page we see here is light. that he's not only life in verse 4, but he's the life that is the light that shines in the darkness. John loves symbolism. And one of the things you're going to see as we journey through, and this is what makes John, I I love studying this gospel, darkness is the realm of unbelief in John's gospel. We are the light of the world. He's the one, the light that shines in the darkness, right? And so you want to watch. Nicodemus comes when to see Jesus? At night. Peter, when he denies the Savior and he goes fishing, he goes Back into the night. You say, oh, I think you're reading too much. No, no, no. John loves this. The issue of water is another one. The issue of bread. He loves these words and he loves to play off of them. And light and darkness is vital. And this is not foreign to John. If I took you to 1QM, I took you to a scroll in the Dead Sea collection, the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, there's a whole thing on the, the children of light and the children of darkness fighting one another. And again, the light and darkness. And it's interesting, and he says in verse 4 that this light, or verse 5, excuse me, the light shines. That's the first present tense in this first section, which means it's an ongoing. This light is shining. It's key. And again, the darkness is the realm of unbelief. And what did Jesus say? I am the light of the world, 812. By the way, again, those miracles that are orbiting around the I am statements, or the I ams are orb- orbiting around the miracles, uh, you see Jesus healing the blind man. So He's going to demonstrate, I am the light of the world. Let me do that for you. It's vital. And so we see, uh, again, this, the stress on the one who is the Word. And it, it continues, a man came, verse 6, sent from God whose name was John. Catch that this is this isn't uh one who was preexistent in fact the same word used for the description of the, the creation is used of this man he's part of god's creation this man who came whose name was john he came as a witness again it's vital to this book witness to testify about the light so that everyone might believe he himself was not the light john wants to make this very clear <laughs> john the, the the apostle, that the baptizer, John the Baptist, is not the light. He came to testify about the light, the true light, who gives light to everyone coming into the world. He was in the world, the world was created by him, but the world did not recognize him. He came to what was his own, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who have received him, those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become God's children. That is that should stop you right in your tracks. Children not been, that have not been born by human parents or human desire or human decision, uh, but by God. Let's unpack this a minute. As we stated again uh, in the first couple verses there, 6 through 8, we meet the one who's going to testify, this John the baptizer. Um, he's referred to simply as John in the fourth gospel. And John the Apostle is never referred to as John, all right? So it's another indication that John the Apostle is the author, if you follow that. Does that make sense? A lot of Johns there. All right. Well, uh, this one is testifying to the one, and you notice the primary goal is what? What's the primary goal of John the Baptist? You might believe, you might believe this guy. What did he say later? We're going to see in John 3. He, Christ, must increase. I, John says, must decrease. That's pretty amazing. Because John the Baptist's ministry is so great that when we get into the latter part of Acts, we meet followers of John the Baptist 20-some years after Christ, all the way over in Ephesus. I mean, talk about a ministry. I mean, John the Baptist should have been putting out (laughs) T-shirts, writing books. This is great stuff. Get the word out. No, no, it's about Christ, not about me. So it is amazing. It's amazing. But notice the opportunity to respond is given here as we see. And in verse 11, in your notes, I mention the irony of the verses. The, the one who created the world and those in it were told, do not accept their creator. Reminds me of Romans 1. <laughs> they take the truth and exchange it for a lie, Right? And and notice, by the way, it's not that they did not know him, it's that they would not accept him. They cannot claim ignorance. The text is very clear. There is no such thing as an innocent uh, heathen. (laughs) Not according to Romans 3, there are none that are righteous, no not one. Whether you live in Tallahassee or Timbuktu or Tijuana, Taiwan. It, wherever you live, uh, you will be held accountable. God has revealed Himself through creation alone, unless you know. And we know inwardly, according to Romans 1. But Christ has come that you might believe. And in verse 12 and 13, we're told so that you could become the children of God, which is so significant. Uh, notice I, I give you three things about the children of God in your notes. Let me skip over this for a second. Uh, the first of these is that the receiving and believing that we're going to see are synonymous to the gospel. It's a conscious and active choice. John loves black and white. He loves the stark. There's no middle ground for John. There's no gray area, right? If you're a children of God, you're going to love him. If you're not a child of God, you, you, you're in the darkness and you hate him. There is no middle ground for John. I want you to see that as we go along. And I think of John 15, right? Uh, If you're uh, (laughs) Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, you produce fruit. If you don't produce fruit, you're not the vine, thus you're not a child. It's that simple for John. Um, And we'll see that as we move along in this book. Uh, But receiving and believing entail that you're going to be obedient. Also, we see the right to become children of God is not something a human can do. Right? No one can say, well, this is my lineage or "or this is how I obtained my birthright. Uh-uh. This is what God has done, not us. And you could write grace across the page, can't you? It's what He's done. And... Thus, he says, a child of God is begotten by supernatural means. Notice what the text says in verse 13. But to all received, uh, excuse me, verse 13, children not born by human parents, but by God. The term that John uses is used for male, normally used for male reproduction, but it's used of God (laughs) here in the text. It's that graphic. I can say that with a group of men. I don't have any children in the group, right? Uh, and, And Well, you're children of God, but Children not been born by human parents, human desires. Uh, he's talking about, you know, developed in the womb, the parents, the genetic, all of this. No, no, no. It's what God has accomplished. Well, he says in verse 14 now the word became flesh and took up residence. So now he comes back to the word. This is, those three f- words, word became flesh, is the incarnation in a nutshell. That's what we should have above the manger scenes at Christmas time. The Word became flesh. <laughs> Speaking of his humanity, right? And he dwelt, literally, he took residence. He set up a tent in our midst. Great stuff. It's not the first time God dwelt with his people in a tent. Where do we see it elsewhere? Yeah, you see it in Exodus, right? God dwelling among his people in a tent. And you see that here, and He says, we saw His glory. Just as you did in the Old Testament with Yahweh and and the the awesomeness of His glory being seen, that glory is now seen here. I love standing on the Mount of Olives, looking over the Temple Mount, and rehearsing God coming and dwelling among His people, then in Ezekiel, what happens? Ichabod, the glory of the Lord, has departed. And the glory comes and it hovers over the Mount of Olives before it, it goes. And now, the glory has come back. This one has dwelt among us. And he's invited us in, that is Jesus Christ, which is absolutely amazing. Because in the Old Testament, no one saw the glory of the Lord except for Moses, and that was the backside of God. Now we get to behold God's glory in full right, right through Christ, Right? Careful, when I hear people say, well, Christ came to earth, he gave up some of his attributes. If he does, he's no longer God. (laughs) He's still God incarnate. All of his deity, all of his attributes are fully there, right? The glory of the one full of grace and truth who came from the Father. John testified about him, he's not the one, and shouted out, I love that, this one who was the one, that, the one about whom I said, He who comes after me is greater than I am because he existed before me. John the Baptist was born first. They don't know what he's talking about. He's saying this word, this one that we've talked about, he was pre existent. There's more than just a man, for we have received from his fullness one gracious gift after another. Literally, favor upon favor. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, isn't that great, came through Jesus Christ. You realize 25% of all the occurrences of Jesus in the New Testament occur in John's Gospel? That was amazing. No wonder the author of this book will say, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. He's not singling himself out. Ooh, look at me. What he's saying is, I marvel that God would bask his love on me. <laughs> the intimacy between Jesus and John you see throughout this book and the focus on Jesus. I mean, even in, if you compare the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus op- occurs 200, nearly 230 times in John, only 150 in the other three Gospels combined. There is a relationship here, and that's why I love about this book. The names you listed, we're going to flesh those out as we move through the the chapters. As we move through cha- through chapter twenty one, you are going to see who is really this Jesus. And uh, that's another reason I love this book. Well, the word became flesh. There in your notes, down the bottom of page two, I mentioned uh, about mentioning that in Hebrews one, it reminds me in the times past. I have the verse quoted there in your notes. God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. <laughs> there it is. It's God dwelling among His people again, the glory. And He says there, and look at the text going back to John 1, He says, for we received from Him this one and only—you uh, y- y- see the the uh, both the humanity and the deity of Christ, don't you? In the in, in this whole section, he's fully God. He's fully man. He's one of a kind. He's the unique one. Not that he's the offspring of God. Nuh-uh. No, 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 uh-huh. no. That's not it at all. In fact, we already saw he was there before creation. This is not. The Word was not created by God, the, the Word is God, fully God, right? And that's vital uh, in the first few centuries, we would have stoned you if you said otherwise. But, uh <clears throat> and then, of course, we've talked about, at the bottom of your notes, we mentioned that John makes it very clear, Jesus was there from the beginning, He is before me. Interesting in verse 18, it says, no one has ever seen God. God is emphatic. In the original, it says, God, no one has ever seen. It it wants to highlight that because this is revolutionary that we should be in a stage where God is now going to be present. And this is the top of page three of your notes. And again, uh, there are several implications, isn't there, in verse 18? Uh, this one who dwelt among us, who set up tent, this unique one? If you look at verse 18 and the implications of it, notice, what, what do you see? What's the implications in verse 18 concerning Christ? He's unique, right? You catch that in verse 18? It reminds you of, of, of uh, verse 14. What else do you see in here? Yes, there's communication. He's the one who makes God known. And interesting, it says, the one, only one, himself, God, who is in closest fellowship. It's interesting, that phrase in the Greek translation of Exodus 3 is identical. What's in Exodus 3? Moses says, what do I tell the Israelites who sent me? And God says, I am. It occurs here. I believe the highest Christological title is given by Thomas later in this book. This is my Lord and my God. And the I am statements is stressing this is God and yet he is distinct. It's so powerful. This one who has intervened time and space to save us and to allow us to become his children and to see his glory. Well, hafaditz, thank you, so what? What do I run with today? Let me give you three things. Number one, note who the Lord is. I want us to see that as we go through, and it's rather obvious, but I think it needs to be said. I'm reminded of Revelation, another book I would argue written by John the Apostle, In in Revelation 19, 11, he says, Then I saw heaven open, there came a white horse, the one riding it was faithful and true. Listen to the names, (laughs) the ones that were already brought out in this text in in John 1. With justice he judges and goes to war his eyes. God the Father isn't the ultimate judge, it's Christ. He's the one who's paid the, the debt. His eyes are like a fiery flame, there are many diadem crowns on his name, He has a name written that no one knows except himself. He's dressed, listen to this, uh, in clothing, dripped in blood, and he is called the Word of God. There it is. uh, His armies are in heaven dressed in white. That's us. We get to ride horses. I've always wanted to ride a horse. uh, From his mouth extends a sharp sword. This is not uh, a little dagger. The word here is a long saber. It's one of judgment so that with it can he strike the nations. He will rule with an iron rod, and he stomps the winepress of the furious wrath of God, the all-powerful, and he has a name written on his clothing. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the one who tabernacled among us. Right? And as we read through John's gospel, I pray that Christ, this Jesus that you look at, you'll see from a little bit different perspective. Even if you've studied John, at a seminary level, I pray that it's a, just a fresh look again at who is this Lord, and secondly, what has the Lord done for us? Again, uh, the, these are obvious, but I've just given you a few based just on the text we've seen this morning. He's given us life, right? I'm assuming everyone knows Jesus as your Savior in this room, but if you don't, uh, He's offering eternal life to you. Uh, and for John... It's not just in the future; it's the here and now as well. The life that comes, the 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 joy uh, that comes from serving Him. He's provided us the name, and the honors of being the children of God. He's granted us. Look at this. This is in your notes: direction, purpose, grace, peace, security, and truth. Wow. they're all, I mean, look at Fox News or CNN. They're all things, All the things that are missing in this world. Right? I want to pay for an advertisement. Uh, if you want true peace, grace, security, truth, it's found in one person. It's the, the person's name you use in blasphemy all the time. Jesus. Right? Jesus. Uh, the, the, you have confusions, you have lies, and you have hopelessness. Psalm 18. Can you just turn there? I, I want you to see this in light of John's gospel. John 18 Psalm 18. You're going to love this. Psalm 18, verses 28 through 33. Indeed, you are my lamp, Lord. I am the light of the world. Right? Think about these as we move through John's gospel. My God illuminates the darkness around me. Indeed, with your help, I can charge against an army. By God's power, I can jump over a wall, Asked Gideon, right? The one true God acts in a faithful manner. The Lord's promise is reliable. He is a shield to all who find shelter in him. Indeed, who is God besides the Lord? Who is the protector besides our God? The one true God gives me strength removes the uh, obstacles in my way he gives me the agility of a deer he enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain hang that on your beak today right some of you walked in with a huge mountain that just appears to be caving you in <laughs> it may be family it may be personal it may be work related cling to that promise this one who tabernacled among us. Right? And, and, and with that, you have a God who's entered our time and space. Uh, he knows a little bit about betrayal. <laughs> he knows a, about life's disappointments, etc. According to Hebrews, he's been tempted in every way as we, so that he can serve as a true high priest. He wasn't in some ivory tower studying theology, <laughs> he was in our midst. You know, that's amazing. God did not need to come down to earth for us, but He did. And He entered time and space, and He's the one who understands exactly what pain and suffering is about. You know, (laughs) He, He knows. And then that leaves us with the final one here. Note how the Lord provides surety for our faith. Can I believe this stuff? Yeah. Because 2000 years ago approximately a man named Jesus of Nazareth dwelt among us. And he said, "I am the light of the world." And so my prayer for us as we journey through this book is that we won't by the, be like the those frozen chosen, the Jewish religious leaders who three times in the encounter with the man who had his eyesight restored by Christ declare they don't know how it happened. And the man who had his eyesight restored, who didn't know who Jesus was, in three episodes becomes, comes to the realization that Jesus is God Almighty and worships. So that is my prayer as we move through the book. One Puritan writer down at the bottom of your notes said it well. When Christ reveals himself, there is satisfaction in the slenderest portion. And without Christ, there's emptiness in the greatest fullness. Isn't that a great quote? Comments, questions, cries of outrage? told you you're going to love this book. (laughs) It's great stuff. Bill. Yeah, we're going to, if I can reserve that for a little later, uh, it's, it's, it's really, the word begotten, well, what's that mean? We're really talking about his uniqueness, his ranking as one. Uh, the firstborn of creation is simply talking about this is his ranking, this is his uniqueness, uh, not that he was an offspring. <laughs> and again, the terms used for John the Baptist and creation are not used of the word, which is vital. Yeah, Paul. Well, literally, it's in in the Greek. Here is that he set up a tent. He he set up and established a tent in our midst, which I think to to echo back to the Hebrew scriptures where God tabernacled among His people. So that's why I'm using it. Literally, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it's if I rendered this literal in the Greek into English, it would be literally he set up a tent in our in our presence. Isn't that neat? Cuz that's exactly what God did in the Old Testament. Yeah, Jamie. I think you could I I think you could argue that yes. Uh-huh. God bringing his glory here in our sinful lot. <laughs> yep. Yes, Dick. Uh cuz <laughs> all the words would be capitalized. Uh no. Um easy to read. Uh, some versions you don't capitalize the pronouns reference to the Lord anymore. It's just I still capitalize the pronouns but that's just uh, I figured he deserves the respect and it helps distinguish as well in the text but Yeah, Eugene Yep, he's the, literally it's used of coinage. He's the exact representation. Well, let me pray. Men, uh, Father, I want to thank you for these men. I thank you for the chance that we have to carve time again out of our schedules to study this glorious book. It's glorious because it's about you. It's about your son, the one who dwelt among us. And we were able to see your glory. But even more significant, We become your children. Lord, thank you. Be with these men this week. Guide them. And uh, in the midst of this week, may we be ever reminded of what you have done for us, who you are, and how our faith is sure. In Jesus' name, amen.